0: of you watching at home on the simulcast, I just uh, did quite a show for you all, moonwalking into the studio like that. Welcome. Happy Friday, everybody. This is the Bitterness and Rage Show. Greetings and salutations. I am Rob, the Professor of Bitterness, the Doctor of Rage. Today we're rocking out to little Michael Jackson to, I guess celebrates probably the wrong word, to, but to acknowledge That it was five years ago, Wednesday, June 25th, that Michael Jackson left us way too early. I got a jam-packed Elvis's Colon-like show for you today, everyone. This is the big fifth show. It's make-or-break time for the Bitterness and Rage show. And I want to thank all of you for listening for these past four episodes. Today's episode and... Any more to come. So, without you all out there listening, there is no Bitterness and Rage Showgram. Today, it's going to be a big, steaming pile of World Cup talk, the continuing saga of Carmelo Anthony and LeBron James. If we have time, this always seems to get pushed to the back burner because I'm trying to keep this to a nice, tight, compact showgram for you. But if there's time, we'll have the social psychology experiment in Kansas City. Uh, The QSR Spotlight, it's my nifty new name for the fast food news segment. If you still think there's a better name out there, do let me know as soon as possible. Update on the White Castle contest and a special Hall of Fame edition of the Bitterness and Rage show Dope of the Week. I want to say before we begin, happy birthday to my little brother Daniel, he's 34 on Tuesday the 24th and I'm... Just making sure that you're listening, Daniel. So, happy, happy birthday. That's as schmaltzy as I get, by the way. Uh, A million ways to contact the show or contact me, at Bitter and Rage, at Bitter and Rage on the Twitter machines. Bitterness and Rage at gmail.com. For those of you listening last week, I mistakenly said that my email address was the Bitterness and Rage Show at gmail.com. But I'm pretty dumb. So, it's at... Excuse me, it's, we just did the Twitter. It's BitterEnrage at gmail.com. And, of course, BitternessEnrage at podbean.com. Bitternessandrage.podbean.com. That's how you can subscribe and have this audio goodness, plates of audio goodness delivered right to you every time I scoop out some new audio nuggets. Yeah, I love food. That's why I make all the food references. So, bitterandrage.podbean.com. Com. Let's begin today. Yes, you can hear every sound. I have just some great equipment here. Because I'd like you to know this is not some haughty, overly, slickly produced professional show. It's my sit-down, get-together, feel-good podcast. We're going to start with some World Cup yak, of which I know very little about, so bear with me. After a week of hand-wringing and teeth-gnashing, our week-long national spilkis is finally at it over. Yesterday, on the 26th, the U.S. backed, moonwalked, as it were, into the World Cup into the knockout round or Sweet 16 for the uninitiated. The knockout round of the World Cup with a heroic 1-0 loss to Germany, combined with Portugal's 2-1 defeat over Ghana. Uh, they are in the knockout round by virtue of Some complicated and frankly quite painful goal differential tiebreakers that knocked out Portugal and ushered in our round of 16 single elimination knockout round portion of the program. So I have some thoughts on why America, and for those of you watching on TV at home, you can see the air quotes I'm doing with my fingers, loves the World Cup, an unfortunate comparison people keep making to hockey, a comparison of soccer to hockey and a fascinating twist on the whole Luis Suarez shoulder-biting mess. Let's start with this, though. Soccer seems to be in a constant fight, a constant struggle for its own credibility in this country, soccer in general, not just the World Cup. And the World Cup kind of helps and kind of does what it can to draw more people in under the soccer tent. Uh, But what does not help Before we get further into this, I think one thing that damages some of soccer's credibility and maybe a little bit of the World Cup credibility is when our team or any team can, in a tournament, and this is the biggest soccer tournament in the world. Again, some would say it's the biggest sporting event in the world. When you can win only one of three of your tournament games and still advance to the next round, that doesn't help things any when you're only successful 33 percent of the time in the playoffs and you move on it's sort of laughable folks But i digress but does the world cup every four years in that cicada like fashion does it really signal a rebirth and interest in soccer i don't know we've been hearing this for at least twenty years now i remember back in ninety four when the world cup was here in the united states and this was supposed to be the beginning of a renaissance for soccer and the world was going to, well not the world, the United States was going to embrace soccer. I mean let's face it, around the world soccer is king. Here in the United States you've got football, you've got baseball, you've got basketball, you've got hockey, and then soccer is somewhere in the top ten perhaps, but it's not nearly the national holiday inducing sport. And I say national holiday, I mean taking time off from more closing businesses to watch events that it is around the globe so when the U.S. portion of the World Cup ends the U.S. participation portion of the World Cup ends which may be really soon when they start the round of 16 with their first match against Belgium how many people will still care? how many? how many will still be tuning in? there will be a good portion of people tuning in don't get me wrong, lots of people are going to watch the World Cup but the rabid fanaticism that we have now and it was especially evident yesterday and people were taking off work to watch to see whether the united states would beat germany and move on to the round of sixteen will there be the same number It's, in my opinion this this idea that the world cup brings out the soccer fan all of us is kind of false it's kind of misleading i think it's it's more patriotism and nationalism than anything else not a sudden interest in soccer See, folks, in the United States, we are very good at patting ourselves on the back and cheering ourselves on in any sort of contest. I mean, look at the Olympics. There's not rabid interest in gymnastics and swimming and track and field and curling and the other Olympic sports, except when the Olympics are on. I mean, if you put a group of people in a uniform that says United States of America, the red, white, and blue, the stars and stripes... People are going to watch it. People will watch the sporting events, and there will be some that are actual fans of the sport and follow the sport and can tell you about it, but a lot of people are just there rooting their country on. It doesn't matter what's being played as long as the people that win say USA on their chest and the people that lose say we're not the United States. I mean, let me take it to this extreme, folks. If the day after Thanksgiving became a worldwide sporting event and you put... I'll say the athletes, shoppers from all countries in their clothed in their country's uniforms and fired a gun right at, say, 4 in the morning the day after Thanksgiving in front of a Walmart and said, go, and we'll compete to see who can be the best shopper, I guarantee it'd be a rating smash. We would cheer for that. We would cheer for anything in which the United States is competing as a team. I mean, if me and my friends were to go outside and play soccer, I don't think even people in the neighborhood would look except to see, you know, some crazy bald man out there, clearly overweight and overage, running up and down the pitch, as they call it. But if I put on a U.S. jersey and some of the people I'm playing against put on other countries' jerseys, then people would start to watch because it's the nationalism. You are drawn to the patriotism. You are drawn to the nationalism. You are, char- you are drawn to yet another opportunity to say to people, hey, man, my country's the best. And then it's over. Yeah, it's, it's inevitably, when the tournament's over, a lot of people who are caring about soccer right now will, will go away, and they'll come back again out of hiding in about four years. Uh, one of the complaints I get about soccer is it's so boring and then with that comes the inevitable and I'm this is not me saying soccer is boring but a common complaint about soccer is it's boring. Those that can appreciate the sport think it's boring but then inevitably comes the comparison where people say it's just like hockey because In this country, hockey does fight for attention from the other big three, baseball, football, and basketball. And I get it. I get some of those comparisons. They're both kind of a niche sport. There's a a theoretical lack of action. I mean, you know, to each his own. You don't like soccer? That's your thing. Those are dogs barking in the background, by the way, just so you see just what a home-based business this is. And those dogs, by the way, are very angry with the fact that I'm making fun of soccer and hockey so I get it lack of action niche sport hard to understand the rules etc cetera, et cetera. but hockey in some respects is much better than soccer so those comparisons are a little specious and here's why let's let's just start with the coaches and I've seen and I'll go back to yesterday's match the United States versus Germany to watch the histrionics, like spoiled children, of Jürgen Klinsmann. Ja, Jürgen Klinsmann. Guten Tag, Herr Klinsmann. Who is actually the coach of the United States, even though his name is Jürgen Klinsmann, former German national team player and uh, winner of the World Cup himself with the German national team. Uh, and the coach for Germany, whose name escapes me, I apologize. Uh, every time something happened, they looked like they'd just been shot. Head back, hands to the face, like they just gotten really, really bad news. Okay, so that's fairly dramatic. They don't just stand there like wooden soldiers like Tom Landry, the Dallas Cowboys, used to do. But let's talk about hockey coaches for a minute. These are, a lot of them are former hockey players, so they're they're big lunkheads. They're brutes. They enjoy fighting. They enjoy beating somebody up, which you can't do on a hockey bench. At least nobody told Patrick Waugh the rookie coach of the Colorado Avalanche, that you're not allowed to do that. In an early game this season, uh, the Colorado Avalanche versus Anaheim, the Mighty Ducks. I know they're just the Ducks, but they'll always be the Mighty Ducks to me. Against the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, there was some play on the ice that didn't sit well with Coach Waugh. And instead of just chewing out the other coach, Bruce Boudreaux, In a press conference, he tried to attack, physically attack Boudreaux. For those not familiar with the the hockey benches, which, by the way, are inches from each other, what other sport do you have the opposing benches right next to each other? I mean, the closest we get, I suppose, is in basketball, where they're on the same side of the court, but there's considerable distance between one bench and the other. But in hockey, they are right next to each other. And there are the dogs, again, voicing their displeasure. They are right next to each other, separated only by a thin plexiglass partition, which is supposed to keep both benches separated and behaving themselves. But, but, in this particular match, hold on a minute, I'll be right back. And we're back. So, in this partitioned bench, uh, Patrick Waugh went up to this piece of plexiglass and started banging on it with such ferocity that he actually broke the plexiglass between the benches. Now, that's a dramatic coach. That's the kind of coach you like to see. Flopping. Flopping is its a disaster to watch in sports. We get some of that in the NBA, but not nearly to the extent that we see it in soccer. There's nothing worse than seeing somebody brushed by, tapped, looked at the wrong way, winced at, and again, look. What I just said about the coaches of the U.S. and German national teams, they look like they've been shot. It's very dramatic. I mean, if if, if we're talking about Oscar-winning and Oscar-worthy performances, you need look no further than World Cup soccer. But it just gets in the way. It's irritating. It's frustrating. And it interrupts the flow of the sport. And they're not really fooling anybody. I won't spend any time on the corruption of hockey and soccer reps. I believe that's tantamount to a draw, pretty much. We can agree that refs in every sport have their problems, but there's where hockey and soccer sort of have it uh, neck and neck. And and finally, when we talk about a lack of action, let's just examine that just for a moment, shall we, about soccer. One of the most celebrated games this past World Cup opening round um, is the 0-0 Mexico-Brazil tie, I'm sorry, let me speak in the parlance of soccer. It's a nil-nil tie. The Mexican goalkeeper Guillermo Ochoa was lauded for his amazing saves. This was supposed to be an instant classic, this game. Let's take a guess as to how many saves old Guillermo Ochoa made. While you're thinking I'll play a little music, hold on, just take a second to think. You have the answer yet? Anyone? If you said single digits, you came pretty close. It was seven, seven saves that he made. Seven shots on goal in 90 minutes without the extra time, the stoppage time. I'm not going to spend any time in this show trying to figure that part of soccer out. Seven. And I'm not saying that the saves weren't great, weren't athletic, weren't acrobatic, weren't all-world kind of saves. But let's talk about this past Stanley Cup playoffs in which the New York Rangers were eliminated uh, or beaten 4-1 by the Los Angeles Kings. In the Stanley Cup finals and the Eastern Conference finals, there were numerous occasions in which Henrik Lundqvist, the goaltender, the great all-world King Henry, the goaltender of the New York Rangers, future Hall of Famer there are a number of occasions which he made 40 saves. 40 plus saves. Okay, so... Six, seven saves doesn't feel like action. 40 saves, just going in one direction. A lot more shots on goals. It just feels like there's more action in a hockey game than there is in a soccer game. Okay? So, however, I will give you this. There is one area in which soccer does have it going on over hockey, and that is creepy injuries. Every sport has injuries, but the soccer has reached a new low in creepy injuries. Luis Suarez of Uruguay uh, took a bite out of the shoulder of Giorgio Cellini of Italy in Uruguay's one nothing victory over Italy in this past uh, World Cup. Uh, you don't really see that in hockey. You don't see guys getting that intimate with other players in hockey. Taking a bite, that's, uh I- I'm speechless. Ugh. I mean, the mouth, the human mouth, you know, use your arms as a weapon, your fists, your feet, but don't use your mouth as a weapon. By the way, uh, after Suarez took a bite out of Cellini and they both fell to the ground, it was Suarez who acted like he'd been the one who was injured. I mean, Cellini, sure, he was injured and wanted to show everyone pulling down his jersey his kit wanted to show everybody where the bite marks were but why Suarez is flopping and rolling around the ground as though he'd been injured is just par for the course in soccer Uh, the discipline though of this particular action is is something that must be talked about in hockey you bump a ref you get thrown out of a game you blindside a player you can get a five-minute major penalty and then perhaps further discipline but in the game against Italy, Suarez did not even get a penalty. So you take a bite out of a player, you get super creepy, up close and personal with a player, and you get nothing. No yellow card, no red card, no color card whatsoever. I mean, later on, Suarez would be punished um, by FIFA, and I don't want to spend any time on that. But he's out of the World Cup and, and four more months of FIFA-sponsored uh, activity. Uh, instead, though, uh, instead of spending any time on how bad it was and whether or not he should have been punished right then and there and how creepily disturbing it was let's talk about one person who has benefited from the Suarez taking a bite out of crime action I'm reading from The Mirror, the Daily Mirror, a United Kingdom newspaper. And a region football fan has scooped up nearly 2,000 pounds after Luis Suarez bit Giorgio Cellini in the World Cup on Tuesday. That is the lead. Richard Helmerson put 100 kroner on the Uruguay, Uruguayan, biting again at 175 to 1, and then found himself $2,000 or 2,000 pounds, which is about $4,000 American, richer. So, of all the things you can bet on in sports, and we talk about how you can bet on all kinds of prop bets in the Super Bowl, this guy bet money that a World Cup player, who's been guilty of doing this before, Suarez is a total psychopath, but there's actually a place where you could bet money that, a, that Suarez would bite another player. And he walked away with four large from doing that. So not everybody loses in this situation. Sure, soccer takes a credibility hit. Suarez takes a hit. But again, where else? I guess I'll put soccer above all the other sports in this respect. Where else can you watch a sport in which one of the bets at 175 to 1, I'm surprised the odds are that high, in which you can bet that one player is going to bite another player. It's fabulous, fabulous stuff. All right, let's move off the World Cup, shall we? And let's start talking about some NBA opt-out drama. So earlier this week, in the last week or so, uh, Carmelo Anthony opted out of his contract with the New York Knicks. It's the worst kept secret in town that he was going to do that. I mean, anybody that couldn't see that one coming just wasn't looking. And then shortly after that, LeBron James opted out of his contract with the Miami Heat. Now, I don't know how many people could have predicted this one. It certainly was not the lock, the lock of the week that it was with Carmelo Anthony. And, and I addressed this a little bit last week about the best fit for Carmelo Anthony. Um, I don't know where the best fit for Anthony or LeBron James would be. Uh, I do know one thing though, when it comes to LeBron James. Get it done. Quickly. Quietly, James. We don't want to party like it's 2010 again. If you look around the NBA landscape, and yesterday was the NBA draft, and there's plenty of places you can go for people who are a lot smarter than me to talk about who won and who lost the NBA draft. But lots of teams are clearing up cap space. Lots of teams are moving mountains in the hope that they can land one of these two fish, Melo or LeBron James. And I don't want to spend any time on Carmelo Anthony's image. It's probably irreparably harmed. It really doesn't matter what he does at this point. But no one wants to see LeBron James lead his potential suitors on another dance like he did back in 2010. We don't want to go through this where every day the lead on Sports Talk Radio is where is LeBron James going to land? Because this time, four years later, if he sits down on a stool in an awkwardly checkered shirt in front of the equally awkward Jim Gray in a Boys and Girls Club in Akron, there ain't going to be no one there listening to him. No one's going to care this time. Okay, No one is going gonna, is gonna to stop what they're doing and gather in sports bars like they did in 2010 to watch a man say, or he's going to, if you'll pardon the expression, take his talents to. This one has to be done less conspicuously, a lot more quietly, and a lot more respectful to both Miami and NBA fans and whomever else is out there. Just... Wherever you're going to go, back to Miami, to Houston, to Dallas, wherever, Los Angeles, back to Cleveland, more on that in a moment, just do it quietly. Just sign. Sign your contract. Have your agent release a statement saying you've decided to do X, Y, and Z with the rest of your career. But don't drag us through this dance of destiny again like you did in 2010. And there's lots of theories out there about why this was done maybe he and Carmelo have been planning this all for weeks and the two of them are going to go somewhere or he opted out of his contract with Miami and Wade and Bosch will do the same so they can take lower salaries and bring some better players in maybe even Carmelo Anthony who knows who knows what's going to happen there's one thing we've learned when it comes to the NBA is it's too unpredictable hey but at least we're not talking about Donald Sterling at least we're talking about something besides Sterling Something rather positive with the NBA. And my hat's off to the NBA uh, for the draft last night. It was a nice touch with the Isaiah Austin uh, mock draft pick. So good job. Sometimes there are some good stories in sports. And if you want to know what his backstory is, Google him up. It's quite a tearjerker. But the NBA did a nice job of looking out for him. So uh, speaking of fairy tales and good endings and, and doing something nice, it would be great. I know all of us out there, were all sentimental, all sentimental sports fans. It would be great if LeBron James returned to Cleveland. Then this NBA-orchestrated fairy tale would have a happy ending. I'm not saying that's the best place for him. I'm not saying he should end up there. But a lot of people would be thrilled to see him end up back where he started. The problem is the Cavaliers have one of the great bad owners in sports. <clears throat> Ooh, cough button. Dan Gilbert. And when LeBron James left in 2010, he took out a full-page ad, some open an open hate letter to LeBron James about how Cleveland cue Goria Gainer music here, about how he would survive and Cleveland would survive and they'd win a championship before he did. How's that working out for you, Dan? It's a little late now to say, "Gosh, I'm really sorry, LeBron." Can't we just kiss and make up and still be the closest of friends? So that bridge has kind of been burned. I'm not sure James would go back just for just for that reason alone. Again, great story if he did, but I'm not sure that's that's really what's in the cards, NBA fans. So stay tuned. Uh, rest assured, one thing's for sure, for certain, that I will address it in my own unique and special way right here on the Bitterness and Rage Show. One more thing before we get to the QSR spotlight, and I do have a couple seconds to talk about my psychological experiment. In my other life, I'm a high school teacher, and I every year I go out to Kansas City, Missouri to grade advanced placement psychology exams. And just to set a scene for you, it's about two to 300 teachers sitting in a conference room, convention center, or a, excuse me, a convention center conference room. And we're sitting there in utter silence in a big room that's overly air-conditioned reading Essay after essay after essay. It's intellectual prison. And it's tedious and boring, and sure, you can laugh at a few of the terrible essays, but for the most part, it's an intellectual salt mine just to pay a few bills over the summer when teachers... And I don't want to get into a teacher rant, but we don't have summers off, folks. Those that say, it's great to be a teacher because you get your summers off. You know who else has this kind of vacation? Those who are unemployed. It's unemployment, folks, not vacation, but I digress. So uh, in Kansas City, it's a mix of high school teachers and college professors, and it's very liberal, a lot of tree huggers, a lot of granola people out there. So I decided to do a little experiment, a little social psychology experiment to see how I would, how I could blend in with very intellectual people, people who are much smarter and much more progressive and forward thinking than me, and I wore my uh, my Washington Redskins t shirt. And it just, it was a burgundy shirt that said Redskins on it. And I wore it into the session in front of all these people. Went, went to lunch at the convention center wearing it. Everyone could see me wearing it. And I wore it just to see what the reaction would be sideways glances, dirty looks, people telling me, people saying I was gutsy, people saying I was a jerk for wearing it. And the only comment I got was from another DC area person who said, Hey, great shirt, dude. Because I love the Skins. And I was just curious to see what kind of reaction I would get, because, as many of you know, there's a debate raging on about whether or not the Redskins ought to change their name, because the name is a racial slur aimed at Native Americans, and um, you already know my thoughts about that. If the name's going to change, let it change. I have no problem with the name changing, just the colors, the tradition, the history. Don't do a total sea change and change everything, but... I don't want to spend any time talking about whether the name should change and how the Redskins are handling this and how the public is handling it or the government is handling it. I just want to talk about racial slurs and things that are patently offensive. If I had worn a shirt into this room filled with liberal tree-hugging granola eaters that said, um, and I won't use the words here, but uh, a racial epithet for African Americans or a derogatory term for anyone who's Hispanic or Asian, homosexual, Jewish, whatever it was. The ones that are truly, without argument, obscene and insulting and hurtful. At best, I would have been asked to go back to my hotel room and change my shirt. And at worst, I probably would never have been invited back to grade these essays again. So it it just proves one thing and I don't want to belabor the point, but it proves that with this issue about the Redskins' name and the name Redskin, again, if it's offensive to people, it's offensive. It's not... The issue here is that it's, it's a complicated issue. Whether they should change the name or not is complicated. Whether or not it's offensive is complicated, this term, because it's not as obviously and openly offensive. When you hear Native American groups... Um, supporting the name and you you know some of the history behind the name that it didn't always start it didn't always start that makes a lot of sense it didn't start out as a racially derogatory term in fact it's a term that was originated by um, somewhat originated popularized I guess that's the wrong phrase but it was it was embraced by the Native American community long before we had football let alone the Washington Redskins so we must be careful about things that we say are obviously offensive. We must hear all sides of the story. We don't just say, well, so one person says it's offensive, so let's go on a crusade and a tirade to change things. It's complicated. It's not easy. And, and the f- it's not foot-dragging on this by anyone and getting the name changed or not changed, but it's complicated. It's, And I'm not saying this little experiment speaks... For everybody, it's certainly not a representative sample of the country, but enough people have spoken out for and against it that whether this word is offensive enough to stop using on a professional sports team, it's complicated. It's something to think about that there's a lot of things that are considered offensive by a small group of people that aren't, well, aren't so openly. Offensive, And if we go on crusades and tirades about things that aren't obviously offensive, and I spoke about the hypocrisy of outrage, the things that are truly offensive get lost in that shuffle. I'll just close with this uh, before we get to the QSR spotlight. Adam Richman, my hero, Adam Richman, my man crush, uh, the former Man vs. Food host, recently got into some hot water because on his Twitter page, I believe, he was talking about thin spiration. because after years of abusing himself on Man vs. Food, he'd gotten a smidge out of shape. And he was talking about thin spiration. And there were pictures of him with his pants that were no longer uh, his size because he had lost so much weight. And he got in trouble with um, people who were... Uh, supporting victims of anorexia and bulimia, that he was glorifying thin, and this was offensive to those who suffered from anorexia and bulimia, which believe me, n- there's nothing funny about those diseases and those disorders. But wanting to be thin is not offensive. Using the word thin is not offensive. And I don't want to spend much more time on this, but he apologized to anyone he offended. My favorite kind of apology, by the way. I'm sorry if you were offended. He apologized to those he offended for using the word thin. And that makes you just step back from all this and say, well, if this is offensive and it's laughably offensive, and it's a small and it and it caused this kind of an outrage, then what gets lost are things that are much more and much much more offensive and much more obviously offensive. So It's complicated, folks. This name change issue is not as simple as many people would think. The bottom line is the name will change when it's financially uh, successful. Not successful. Financially beneficial to little Danny Snyder, the owner of the Washington Redskins. All right, let's dive into some fast food news with the QSR Spotlight uh, real quick. And I also want to address, before we leave, the White Castle Crave Mobile Contest. Just some good news for some heavy eating Heavy fast-food-loving folks like myself. Uh, Wendy's is bringing back its pretzel bun, the pretzel bacon cheeseburger, and the pretzel pub chicken sandwiches. Good times. Subway Canada. I see, this is where Canada gets its revenge on the United States. They're introducing a lobster sandwich. Hopefully, that migrates its way down to the United States. But for those of you that are planning a trip to Canada... Chunks of lobster meat from Atlantic Canada, lightly mixed with mayonnaise. Delicious. The Subway Lobster Sandwich. Where are my Nutella fans out there? Carvel, of America's favorite ice cream shop, starting on Monday, is going to introduce their Nutella, the hazelnut spread Nutella, their Nutella line of Carvel ice creams. Let me just give you a, a little smidge as to what they're planning on doing. Uh, hand-scooped chocolate ice cream layered with Nutella hazelnut spread and Carvel crunchies. Sounds like... Something very creepy. Uh, Then topped with Nutella. Soft serve ice cream made with Nutella hazelnut spread. The Sunday Dasher with bananas. Layers of soft serve made with Nutella hazelnut spread and Carvel crunchies. Topped with whipped cream and Nutella. Delicious. And oh so nutritious. Uh... Long John Silvers is hosting a nationwide free food giveaway tomorrow. So, I'll get to that, would be June 28th. Those of you listening to the podcast about a week or two or a month or a year from now, this will have absolutely no meaning to you. I apologize. That's June 28th, 2014. Please don't listen to this next summer and, and make plans to invade Long John Silvers. I want you to imagine the carnage. Of a free food giveaway from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., Long John Silver's will be giving away one fish fillet and a serving of fries to every guest. No purchase necessary. Imagine the the horror of people who shouldn't be eating fried anything lined up to get their scoop of free food. Uh, finally, uh, fascinating facts about bacon. Mm, bacon. Let me just 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 think about bacon for a second. A moment of silence bacon with Michael Jackson lightly playing in the background according to the NPD group whatever the heck the NPD group is US consumers ate about are you ready are you ready grab your treadmills 1.1 billion servings of bacon in the year ending April 2014 which is an increase of 6%, 1.1 billion servings of bacon. Let's say a serving of bacon is two or three strips. So to put that in perspective, imagine you have someone gives you a plate of three strips of bacon and then repeat that 1.1 billion times. Think about that just for a second. What I didn't know, besides the fact that America eats over a billion servings of bacon a year, and that's just America, just the United States, not worldwide, just the United States, the ever-expanding United States, expanding horizontally, of course, around the their, the personal equator of all of our lives. Uh, I knew there was pork bacon, and I knew there was turkey bacon. I had no idea that there was beef bacon, chicken-flavored bacon, duck bacon, which sounds completely nauseating, yet... Gloriously delicious and the the people the good people at NPD wrote this statement and I just have to ask how do you where do they find people to write this kind of stuff about bacon and I quote among the key drivers of bacon unit growth bacon unit growth and as isn't aside, please bacon unit growth it 's food it 's bacon i 'll start again among the key drivers of bacon unit growth are more consumers visiting restaurants for breakfast and new and innovative bacon menu offerings including new types of bacon. That is both a horrifying, fabulous thought that there's even more kinds of bacon out there. But you know what? I'll just stick with the pork bacon. That's my personal favorite. All right, that brings us to the Dope of the Week. And the Dope of the Week, we're going to do this Hall of Fame style. The Cincinnati Reds baseball team, their radio broadcast team, is Hall of Famer Marty Brenneman and former major leaguer Jeff Brantley. And during the Cincinnati Reds broadcast, they have an Ask Marty segment, which is essentially questions from the Twitterverse for Hall of Fame broadcaster Marty Brenneman. And they're usually very benign questions. Uh, What's your favorite moment as a broadcaster? Favorite former player? Favorite restaurant to eat at on the road? Who should the Reds trade for? How well will they do this season? Why didn't they do better this season? But on June 24th, the question was, the question that was asked, and it's Jeff Brantley gets a stack of these from the Cincinnati Reds Public Relations and Media Relations Department. He goes through them, Jeff Brantley, and asks Marty, hence the name Ask Marty. The question was, what is your biggest fear in life? Now, you would think on a radio broadcast... For a baseball game, that the answer would be something again benign, harmless—snakes, lightning, uh, Ryan Seacrest—but no, no, no. They, the, Murty takes this one to another level. His answer was dying alone in a hotel room, like other Hall of Fame broadcasters and players, Don Drysdale and Richie Ashburn, both of whom died alone in the aforementioned hotel room. That's very dark. That's a very dark and heavy response for a Major League Baseball game. The only bit of levity one can find in that answer, again, dying in a hotel room alone, was while Brenneman is talking about this, while he's taking this to another level about death and loneliness and despair, he keeps calling the game. He continues to broadcast. So it's it's sort of, and this is not me quoting directly, but if you can imagine it's Sort of like this. Well, my biggest fear in life is I don't want to die in a hotel room by myself, Otto looks at strike two, there's the pitch just a bit outside, and I don't ever want to die without my wife by my side. It's kind of like that. He just, without missing a beat, and that's why if he's a Hall of Famer, he can talk about his own death and call a game at the same time. So look, this is, of all the tweets from Marty on the Ask Marty segment, this is what they come up with for a light-hearted radio segment. And this is a radio broadcast of a baseball game, not a segment on Dr. Phil. You tune in to hear your favorite baseball team on the radio, and you get instead a heaping helping of psychoanalysis. So, Marty Brenneman, Jeff Brantley, and the entire Cincinnati Reds Public Relations Department, you are the bitterness and rage show dope of the week the hall of fame version of the dope of the week all right friendos fifth show is in the book another jam-packed 40 or so minutes of pulse pounding entertainment thank you very very much for listening again do not forget uh at bitter and rage on your twitter machines bitterness and rage at gmail.com and bitternessandrage.podbean.com. Check it out. Subscribe to the show. Have it delivered to your doorstep each and every time I put another one of these on the air. Thank you very much. Always remember that the Bitterness and Rage show is a de clone production. And bye bye everybody.